I think, I think particularly on the environment, we have the license to disrupt now because we don't have time. We don't have time to do things in the same way. Um, and uh, just be bold, be bold, be brilliant. And don't worry about making mistakes because it's the only way we learn. Welcome to another episode of Communicating Purpose. I'm John Higginson, and I believe that the best way to get a message across clearly is by talking about something you honestly and passionately believe in. By doing so, you bring people with you. Your passion becomes theirs, and I call this the power of purpose. Bianca Sheed is the Global Director of Strategic Communications for the US-based environmental NGO, The Nature Conservancy. Bianca joined TNC following a career in the beverage industry leading brand and communications at Molson Coors, SAB Miller and Asahi Europe. At the Nature Conservancy, she is responsible for their global messaging strategy in facing the twin crises of biodiversity loss and climate change while protecting indigenous people. TNC runs large scale global campaigns to reverse these trends and is currently looking to expand its work within Europe. So Bianca, tell us about your journey to where you are today. Yeah, so the, the kind of the most important part and the most interesting transition, I think, is from you very kindly said beverage. It's actually beer. I spent about 13 years in the beer industry, which was a good industry to be in, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of our listeners are very je- jealous of that. It was incredible. Um, I always talked about uh, uh, traveling the world and seeing different places through the lens of beer. Beer goggles. Beer goggles. Good. And beer, beer goggles in the best possible way. So I've visited breweries from, from I mean, the Gross Brewery in the Netherlands through to the the a brewery, the, the only international investment in South Sudan when it first became independent. Um, and it's just fascinating. But you would go, you'd visit the brewery, and then you'd go and see how people consume the products. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant way to think about the world. But how did I get from that to working at the Nature Conservancy? So SAB Miller was a really interesting and, in retrospect, very progressive organisation in terms of its sustainability because it had a truly global footprint with large breweries and operations in right across Africa, India, Latin America, Asia Pacific, really global, quite often operating in places where resources were a a challenge, Um, agricultural resources, and then fresh water. You need a lot. Water, a beer is about ninety, you know, about ninety percent water. So you've got to make sure it's really good, and you've always got enough of it. And so the organisation, the the different situations. So a brewery in Bogota was facing really rapidly increasing water treatment charges. I thought, well, what can we do here? And then in parts of India, water scarcity was a problem. So it can be cost, it can be scarcity, it can be quality. But all of these problems were, you know, bubbling up around the world. And when I was at SAB Miller, we actually started working with the Nature Conservancy because the Nature Conservancy will look at these problems through a much, much bigger lens and say, where's the water coming from? 
what's happening right upstream and how can you work with nature to make sure that by the time the water gets to the brewery, it's not costing you a fortune, it's really clean and it's really plentiful. So in quite a few places, we were working with the Nature Conservancy on projects that managed upstream agriculture or invasive species. I mean, there are people in Cape Town who jump out of helicopters, they abseil out of helicopters to chop down trees that are invasive species in Cape Town because they're sucking up all the water and dominating the really important local ecology. So it's this incredible blend of nature and business um, coming together in such a thoughtful and progressive way. So when the job came up at, at the Nature Conservancy to kind of sit on the other side, I jumped at the chance. Great. Well, uh, I think everyone will drink to that then, knowing that that uh, knowing that the beer that they're drinking might be helping out nature without them even uh, knowing it. That's uh, that, that's good to know. So, tell us about um, one of your campaigns is uh, Enduring Earth uh, in collaboration with the Pew Charitable Trust (WWF) and uh, uh, Zoma Lab or Z O M A L A B. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So, just to take a tiny step back, um, we're on a fairly tight time scale to change things to turn things around for the planet on climate change and nature loss so when we talk about biodiversity that's basically nature and it's not just about i mean obviously the big you know the rhinos and the pandas and things they're really really important but also the pollinators plant species just it's it's a bit harder to explain how important it is that we don't lose any more species and we don't lose any more nature but our entire our entire life system depends upon it and so these are the twin crises of climate change and biodiversity loss we've got to get a move on and we have realized and our ceo is just brilliant at this but we 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 talk about radical collaboration you can't you can't um compete um, and therefore, this is this is three really big uh, not for profit organisations coming together and saying, how can we collectively really shift the needle on some of these things? And so it's this idea of radical collaboration. We can't do things on a project by project basis anymore. We have to think about the things as a system. How can we shift entire in, you know huge pieces of, of of ecosystems? How can we shift the way that they're managed? to maximise the opportunity for uh, stopping climate change and stopping biodiversity loss. So that's where Enduring Earth comes in. It's looking at how we can collectively work. It largely starts with governments. You can't do this without government buy-in. How do we work with governments, get their buy-in to put in place mechanisms that will protect and manage huge areas so that and they're, they're, they're areas that are really important for both climate change, so they're important for carbon sequestration and biodiversity, because the two go hand in hand. Wherever you look, if you've got a thriving ecosystem, it's going to trap more carbon. But this is a scale that really hasn't been done before. And that's what's exciting about the partnership. And no one of those entities could do it on their own. Greg, well, 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 tell us a bit about how that, go into some of the detail on how that partnership works, because... Most of our listeners are, like you, heads of communications and stuff. And we all know, everyone talks about partnership and, and says, oh, we are great partners and everything else. And we've all been on those calls where lots of different organisations are on there and actually everyone's just fighting their own corner and it's not really working very well. 
Um, how does it work in reality when, in essence, a lot of you are competing for some of the donors and competing for some of those resources in other areas? How how are you how are you doing it without you know people saying or trying to claim credit for stuff that's being done by others and all the rest of it? Yeah, it's not easy, is it? All of yeah, God, I remember. I mean, for as long as I can remember, we've been talking about how do we do partnerships better? And, and the, <laughs> nobody has the answer yet. You just have to be a compassionate, humble and honest human being. But a few things. It's CEO led. So we have the buy in and support of all the CEOs. Um, and, and I think having that level of leadership and mandate and commitment is the first, you know, is the first hurdle and, and sets the tone for the partnerships. So that's hugely helpful secondly um it it is an entity that can be fundraised for so when we're looking for for donor support we don't look for it for tnc and wwf we look for support for enduring earth so we're able to fundraise for that and there's you know there's a there's a lot of mutual support and appreciation for that great and then so if for instance you're trying to raise funds for enduring earth how are you splitting up how that money is then being split between the um, various organizations and, and 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 how many meets how often do you meet that's that's another important one yeah um so there is somebody on my team who is the enduring earth communications person for the nature conservancy but enduring earth has its own kind of central unit of people as well um I don't get enormously involved in the bookkeeping, but in terms of how the work is is prioritised and allocated, basically, sometimes it will be a project that's led by WWF, sometimes it'll be a project that's led by Pew, and sometimes it will be a project that's led by TNC. But what we have found, and, and so it's really more straightforward than you might think, because we all have resources in different places we all have different expertise and the fact that we have this shared vision and a kind of charter means that we deploy our most effective resources where we know they're going to they're going to work so that part of it is pretty straightforward uh, let me let me ask you what what has been one of the biggest challenges at uh, tnc so the biggest challenge actually reflects um it relates back to partnerships and the way that we approach the different challenges which is human nature largely seems to like to organize things so I um, have a <laughs> I have what they like to call a bioreaction whenever I see a presentation that puts things in boxes and buckets and that's just the way that people think so I can't be you know I can't be harsh Life is easier when you organise it into horizontals or verticals or bubbles. Nature doesn't work like that and the world doesn't work like that. So one of my ongoing challenges is always how do we stop thinking in boxes and how do we, how do we think as a complex system? And that applies to communication. So, so we have people who focus on climate change communications. We have people who focus on enduring earth communications. We have people who focus on oceans communications, but they're all connected. And my daily battle is I kind of, I want to throw kind of an invisible web or a net over everybody that suddenly these new neurons start snapping and crackling. And we realize 
all of those connections and and so that we are way smarter in the way that we communicate and the way that we think about all of the challenges that we're trying to fix. What's been one of your hardest days in the office across your career? You can you can pick at TCN or somewhere else. Okay, uh, so the, the the category, the overall category, definitely uh, would be the kind of the reputational crisis type of situation. Um, and when uh, and the trying to separate your personal feelings from what's going on. Um, particularly when you believe in the organisation you work for and you believe that the organisation is trying to do good things and then people disagree. When I was at SAB Miller, um, ActionAid published a report uh, about SAB Miller's tax practices, particularly in developing countries. And on the day that they published it, there were people dressed as beer bottles protesting outside the office. And it was it was so hard. Because it's a company I believe in. It's a, it's a, um, it's a bit like hearing somebody criticise one of your parents or, or one of your best friends in a way that you that just doesn't feel right. But you have to listen because these are credible organisations who have put resource into something that they really care about. And so separating that out and 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 really understanding what the criticism is, how much of it is 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 right. And what we can learn from it. That was, for me, I mean, that first day was just awful. Um, looking out of the window and, and just really wanting to say to people, I'm not a bad person. We're not bad people. We're trying to do good things here. Why have you picked on us? But then, you know, you start to unpack it and say, okay, what could we have done differently that would have stopped this from happening? And um, that, you know, and, and that was, honestly, that was a four-year journey for the organisation as a whole. And all credit to ActionAid, whilst some of the, you know, the things that they suggested were not necessarily accurate, what they did was give us a real kick up the backside to be more transparent. And so if we'd been more transparent and made more information available about how we do our work, we wouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. So it meant that by the end of the four years, that organisation, SAB Miller, was at the forefront of publishing and, and, and sharing all of it as you know as much information on tax practices as you can do with obviously without breaching any um financial confidentiality rules yeah i think that's a really interesting point there about you talking about how your your natural reaction is quite uh, defensive and i think the important thing to think about communications actually is that public communication is is really no different to any form of communication and i think we've all been there where we've been criticised for something and we suddenly get defensive. And actually, if we go the other way and we accept it straight away, it's actually quite disarming for the person who's criticising because they're so unused to it, because so few people, when they're criticised, will say, yeah, you know what, you're absolutely right there. I could have done that better. And OK, you might be slightly wrong on this point, but, but you know, broadly, you've kind of got me there. And, and uh, I think that's why... Communications is a constant learning curve. Uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly no professional at communications in normal life. You know, even though I'm a professional communicator in my professional life, I've got I've got ways to go, and I'm sure everyone everyone does. I'm sure they can look at themselves and go, actually, I could have done that much better. Um, but I think that's and I think yeah, and I think I think you raise a really good point. And, and thinking about it, you know, the 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 knee jerk reaction is right. Well, we're going to we're going to put a statement out 
But actually, one of the smartest things to do is initiate a conversation um, rather than immediately say, well, let's 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 face this off. Let's shut it down. I think the days of trying to shut things down are, are past and a conversation can be so much more productive and you will learn along the way. But it's quite it's hard because human nature is you, you want to defend something you believe in. Um, and so it, it, it does require that it requires a lot of maturity. It does. Um, it's great that you've come from a different industry uh, into environment uh, industry. And we need great communicators in uh, uh, fighting for the environment. As you say, there is not a lot, lot, lot of time left. We're not going to save every single species, uh, but we're going to we need to try and uh, bend that curve, as it as it were. Is there anything that you feel that in communicators in the environment space need to do better? Uh, I mean, we can all always do better, but um, at the risk of being a bit repetitive, there is that thing about about stop thinking in in silos and boxes. Really thinking about the system because we can we can just get so much more out of out you know so much more bang for our buck if we think about that big picture. So it's the same way we think about we think about our work. Let's not just do a carbon project. Let's focus our carbon projects where there's the biggest biodiversity win or where there's the biggest opportunity to bring along sustainable livelihoods. And it's the same with communications. Well, let's not put out, let's not do a feature on climate change. Let's let's think about, let's make it about a place because a place is a great way to make things, to build all of those connections. So um, there is that. And then back to the radical collaboration. I mean, I work with my counterparts at WWF and all kinds of other NGOs. And when we do that, it's always rewarding and it's always, um, you know, again, always more productive than, than working individually. So I would love to see more, more of this radical collaboration in our space. Great. And I'm going to add one, which is what I'm tired of now is seeing those final messages, those final warnings. And we've just had it recently from the IPCC. They're, they're, they're kind of yet another final warning that if we don't do something now, and I think actually people have had enough of hearing those final warnings because it isn't a final warning. We will, we will live for another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. There will be more warnings down the line. And I think it, um, by giving those final warnings, it actually makes people distrust because they say, hold on, you said it was a final warning four years ago, five years ago. We heard the final warning 10 years ago. So if you're in the environment uh, uh, movement and your communications, please stop giving those final warnings. We know we know we could do more. We know we could go faster, but please stop on those. Um, you want the solutions, yeah. not the problem. Yeah. Um, tell me something that you've done that you felt really proud of. So, oh, it's, sorry, slightly strange noise there because I got excited because um, uh, I was clearing out. I was clearing out some old paperwork. And um, and I found my old cuttings book from when I worked at SAB Miller, and I found a cutting from the Financial Times from I think about two thousand and ten, and that was a story about the importance of appreciating and valuing nature when you are a multinational, um, you know, consumer goods business. But any actually any organisation needs to really think about biodiversity and both their reliance on the you know the gifts of biodiversity but also your impact on your, you know the way that you are operating and seeing that and well, I don't feel like a soothsayer obviously but it was kind of it's it's kind of made me proud but also 
wishing things had moved more in the in the interim 12 13 years um but i think you know the work that happened the work that that we did at SAB Miller to really push other businesses as well to think about valuing nature and natural resources was was really really interesting but the other thing i am going to use one from my current role as well is um so the nature conservancy as you said we're a us based organisation but we are massive and we operate all over the world and we are really not that well known outside of the US um, and, or, or outside certain audiences. So if you go to if you go you know, to a, a policy discussion about financing biodiversity, we're all over it. And, you know, but that's a small group of people who know us. Um, but we have uh, so our CEO has been with us for three years. And she's amazing. She is dynamic and engaging and so smart. And she gets she gets the importance of communications. Um, and uh, the first COP, uh, the first climate COP after after COVID, when everyone was really excited to be out again, was in Glasgow, which was great. And we had a delegation there and Jen Morris, our CEO, was there. And we had, from a communications perspective, we had really, really worked hard to be there, to have a meaningful presence, to have things to say. Uh, and I was there with her and there was one of her counterparts, the CEO from another from another environmental NGO, just turned to her and said, Jen, you guys are everywhere. And I had a, I had a little in, internal, you know, uh, punching the air because that's what we tried to do. And it, you know, it reinforced to her that not only are we doing it right, but it's getting noticed and it's making a difference. And we know that the more people in these places, the more they know about us and the more they know, they know about our work, the more enduring earth we can do, the more projects we can do that really shift the needle. What media do you uh, read or watch or listen to or swipe yourself? <laughs> I'm going to be such a stereotype. I love The Guardian. I love The Guardian. Um, uh, but, you know, I... I uh, um, try to be very open my dad is is my counter is a kind of my counter argument he likes to send me articles from that he's read on al jazeera and so that it keeps me keeps me balanced he believes he believes in a true world world view um i do i so my way of judging people is to listen to them on desert island discs i think it's such an interesting lens uh, and and such a neutral space and so when um when boris johnson became prime minister i immediately went back and listened to his his old desert island discs then i listened to keir starmer's and i draw my conclusions from that because it's a totally safe space i think where people are very much themselves so that's my that's my window on the world great so that's the bbc as well uh, for listeners um Tell us, uh, oh, what do you do to de-stress at the end of the day? I know you've got a very busy day ahead of you as we're uh, recording this. Tell us what you do yes. to de-stress. Audiobooks. I absolutely love audiobooks. So um, I have one of those Bluetooth headbands that I pop on at night so that it doesn't disturb my husband. And I, uh, that, I really like that. It helps me completely disconnect, takes me to a, a very different place. And I very rarely consume the entire book because I'm full I fall asleep and I have to keep going back but or, I, I find I, I love sound I'm really auditory and so that's the place that and uh headspace I also find really good Pod, pod what do you do John podcasts as, well, podcast as well 
Um, oh, God, I love Pump House, so I wasn't sure if I was allowed to name yeah, others, yes, though. Yes, of course. Um, no, do, name, any, name any book that you've... Um, any, any book that you want to recommend that you've read recently? Oh, um, Wintering by Catherine May. Um, it's a non-fiction book and I would really recommend it. It's about the practice of wintering, which is closing down in some way. And it doesn't mean going to hibernation. It can be different parts of your brain or different parts of your life. But it's just about, and I think well, this is probably part of the de-stressing thing, just finding some space to be that is quiet and calm and it touches on cold water swimming, touches on quilting, touches on midsummer. It's just, it's a really soothing book. And that consumed as an audio book is, was just delightful. Well, I'm also a um, reader of books by Kindle, but actually one of my favorite uh, things to do is to get the Sunday times in old fashioned print for, for form on a Sunday, which I have delivered and have that spread oh, yeah. out and look at the different, you know, and I might turn to the comment and the news first, but you've got all those different sections there, and I, I love, love that. That is still a part of my uh, part of my life, and I'm very much a print person. And that breakfast, you have tea and toast with it. Tea, the coffee and toast. Actually, I'm kind of more of a coffee person now, but coffee, toast, yeah. That sounds like that, bliss. That's, that's that's a perfect morning. Yeah. Uh, uh, before having to take the kids off to football and <laughs> yes. dra drama class and all the other things they do. Um, give us one final uh, message for our audience. What would it be as, as an audience of, of, of purpose-filled communicators or, or would-be purpose-filled communicators? Oh, take a step back. Look at the big picture. Take every opportunity to break down walls and disrupt I think, I think particularly on the environment, we have the license to disrupt now because we don't have time. We don't have time to do things in the same way. Um, and uh, just be bold, be bold, be brilliant. And don't worry about making mistakes because it's the only way we learn. Bianca Sheed, Global Director of Strategic Communications at The Nature Conservancy. Thank you for joining me, John Higginson, on Communicating Purpose. Thank you.